0: This is a Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goblins, presented by Westside Honda and 204 Skate Shop. Motocross news from around the globe, but mostly between Emerson and Brandon. We're not experts over here, but we've got microphones. Check us out on the web at BigMXRadio.com. Welcome to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by 204 Skate Shop X-Brand Goggles, and Westside Honda. Today we've got FMX freestyle legend Lee Stewart. We've also got in studio our uh, co-host. We have Chris Mellon, as well as a special co-host. This is uh, me,
1: Arnold Schwarzenegger.
0: Arnold Schwarzenegger, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We've also got uh, Chris Mellon. Chris, how's it going? You son of a bitch.
1: Not too bad. Arnie, you watch your mouth. Um, uh, doing pretty good, Brad. I uh, think this is going to be a good story to tell, the legend of Lee Stewart.
0: Right, we're going to start off uh, by giving uh, Arnie the floor. I think he's got a couple of different questions for Lee. And then uh, we'll move along with uh, the rest of his story. So, uh, Arnold, take it away.
2: Good morning. What's going on? Not a whole lot, Arnie. How are you? Pretty good, just slamming some beers here with the boys.
0: Stop shouting!
2: Oh. I'm not deaf! All right, take it easy, bud. First, I would like to
1: just get to know you. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately.
2: Well, I'm waiting for you guys to start firing away. What's the matter? Nothing. What do you want? I want you to start asking me some questions already. You don't happen to have a cigar, do you? I got some smokes for you. Fuck you. Hey, come on now. I have only one more question. What's that? Take your mother, please. Hey, she's off limits. Ask your mommy. I <laughs> like enough. discipline.
0: <laughs> all right well that's enough from arnold um just a few questions here and there uh lee um moving into a, a little bit more of the, the bulk of your uh, your interview here um your first exposure to uh adre- adrenaline sports as well as um motocross in general i assume the the first time you got on a bike you were quite young yeah i was about
2: i think i was years old the first time I rode a bike and uh, I rode that thing straight up a set of stairs and into a patio door and uh, my mom pretty much kiboshed me from riding one again until I was 10 or so and then I ended up with uh, an 85 CR60. Don't bullshit me. Smashed the back
0: fender off in the first 10 seconds and after that I was hooked. Good for you. Fair enough. Well after that uh, first initial Uh, experience uh what fed your your hunger to to want to start riding more and and get better
2: i don't know i just ever since i was a little kid and even still this day i can't not want to be on a dirt bike i just love riding dirt bikes and it's not about how good i get or whatever it's just you know the love of the sport and that's all it is for me and just always has negative
0: all right now i believe uh chris you had a few questions lined up for um for Lee, uh, I'll let you take the floor for, uh, for a bit here and um, yeah dive a little bit more into uh, the, the what have yous of uh, who is Lee Stewart.
1: That's right. Well thank you Brad. Uh, so what was this first bike that you decided you wanted to try whoop sections on your stairs?
2: That would have been uh, an 80 some uh, 84 Z50. Nice that I uh, stole from the neighbor and uh, I wasn't supposed to ride it. This is an arrest Went out Just looped it out Right off the bat And then thought I was awesome Don't bullshit me Decided Hey I'm gonna rip up some stairs Which was totally unintentional Good for you And uh Yeah I went into a patio door And fucking smashed myself Pretty hard And my mom found out And she said No dirt bikes for, From there on out I'm not interested in that
1: Well, maybe if you wouldn't have tried to show her how excited you were by driving into the living room, she wouldn't have been so pissed off. I actually don't blame Laura for that. Yes. But uh, when you started racing quick after you hopped on a dirt bike, uh, what year did you start racing?
2: I think I started racing in 97, I believe it was. Don't bullshit me.
1: Oh, so it wasn't so quick, uh... What bike did you get to the races on? What was your first race bike?
2: My first race bike was a 96 RM80 that was uh, covered in zip ties, duct tape, fucking electrical tape numbers, you name it. Good for you.
1: Oh, so you were that guy.
2: I was that guy, and that's how I met my good bud, Josh Penner. He was the only other guy at the track. First race is from him as well, and... Showed up, parked beside him at the pits, and noticed that he had another clapped-out bike too. And just like, "Hey, dude, you want to be friends?" And
1: <laughs> both our bikes are <laughs> awesome. Uh, let's high-five.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so, is that who you started riding with? Uh, what guys? Like, who would you go practicing with uh, when you weren't at the races?
2: Yeah, it was always like him. Uh, when we were kids, it was yeah him, Kerry Cadieux back in the day, uh, the Owasco brothers, uh, Brad Weeb, uh, my neighbor. My neighbor Al had a crappy old XR100, and he could moto the shit out of that thing. It was unbelievable. Um, that was pretty much it. And then, you know, tagging along with all the older guys like you and your brother and, uh, you know, Todd Moore. All those guys kind of showing me the ropes and teaching me things that I shouldn't have known at that age. We called it education, exactly. It was, it was the Mellon Brothers School of Life. You graduate with a degree in beer drinking picking up girls, and generally being fucking sweet.
1: Well, you didn't graduate (laughs) until many, many years later, but uh, we'll get into that. Um, uh, So when you first started racing, how did that first season go? Uh, We kind of got the idea from Josh Penner too. You, Josh, and Carrie kind of battling it out for last place there, but just loving life and uh, not being about who beat who, but more about just racing and being out there.
2: Yeah, that first season, we all sucked so bad. Um, It was, yeah, it was... A battle for last at all times. Um, I even remember Mike Hildebrand, Hildebrand back in the day being in the mix there with us too. And then uh, from there it was, you know, next season it was a game changer. All of a sudden all of us were at the front of the pack and it was battling for the win. So you didn't always suck? No, nope, It was... Uh, Kind of a you know I I still suck who am I fucking kidding but <laughs> but the, so that
1: following season is that the one that took you to your uh, one and only championship in the 12 to 16 division
2: that was my uh, 87 to 12 championship still got that plaque hanging on the wall somewhere it's it's downstairs I think and uh, yeah it was my one and only championship other than that I've got like 40 second place trophies to my name Josh Penner has all the first place it's a dick
1: he is a dick. <laughs> So many, many second places, uh, what did you attribute that to? Like, what did Josh do better than you, per se, or uh, what did you do worse?
2: You know, it was always it was always a back-and-forth battle, who's winning races and stuff, and it just attributed to, you know, a lot of bad luck for me a lot of the times. I'd always end up uh, breaking myself towards the end of the season every year. That Brandon track would swallow me up, and I'd end up with casts and things like run over balls and just stupid, stupid things, and I'd lose... Every year, thanks to that,
1: you lose balls every year. How many years did you lose balls in a row?
2: <laughs> I still got them both. They're still both. there. They still kind of function. You know, they're running at like eighty percent capacity, but Solid. They're there.
1: That's all, That's really all that matters. So, with uh, a million second places, um, um, I think you always moved up quickly, and you were a young guy riding bigger bikes. I remember, if I remember correctly, one year you were on eighties, one twenty fives, and two fifty two strokes. And were you, what, 12
2: years old, 13 years old? Yeah, I was about 12 or 13, and then, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know, I jumped on my dad's bike when I was a kid, I couldn't even touch the ground yet, I would set up milk crates in the yard and started and stopped off those things, and after that I was just hooked, I was like, man, 80s are terrible, they suck, and just started riding big bikes around when I was practicing, and then ended up racing them all season long, too.
1: Well, yeah, it is tough, uh, once you hop on the bigger bikes, bigger wheels, more suspension, actual, somewhat power makes everything so much easier. Um, uh, so once you hopped onto the big bikes, do you think that helped you out getting onto the 250 two-stroke, which was the big bike at the time at a young age of 12 or 13? Oh. Do you think that helped you, or uh, do you think you should have maybe dedicated yourself to the 80s, 125s, and tried to stay down there a little bit longer?
2: No, it definitely helped me. Like, after riding the big bikes around during practice, most of the time, I'd jump on my 80, and it was a little bitch to me. It was... Basically, I could make it do what I wanted to all the time, and that's... I, You know, it was... Fun, but at the same time, it was nowhere near as much fun as you know, riding the big bike around and feeling the power of that two-stroke, especially when you weigh like 84 pounds. Hi, how are you? And I even remember you being
1: riding for Greg's KTM and hopping on the four-stroke 525. Um, uh, when was that? How old were you? And explain uh, that horrific situation.
2: That was my first year pro. I think I was 14 or 15. Um, I was... I was basically the little bitch of the race team. I was just, you know, on his team with guys like legendary guys in Manitoba, especially like Don Formo. He was the main guy there, and he wasn't really digging that 525, which was supposed to be his bike for the year. So he ended up nabbing my 252 stroke, and I got stuck with that 525, which was actually awesome because I never lost one whole shot all year long after I was on that thing. And uh, shifting was not an issue. Just leave that thing in second gear all day long. And, uh... <laughs> 100-pound kid on that thing is, you you imagine how fast it goes.
1: Yeah, how would that beast handle? Like, could you
2: turn it, or was it just point-and-shoot mentality? Well, it's a KTM,
0: so you know it's not turning. True.
2: (laughs) And especially back then, four-strokes still weighed 8,000 pounds, so, you know, if I fell over, my race day was fucking done. But uh, when I stayed up, it was working out for me, so I liked it.
1: True, and I remember, like, uh you you everyone gets smacked up in this uh amazing sport of motocross but like how many concussions did you get at a young age which may explain some of the answers today oh, yeah
2: i attribute my partial retardation to about 14 concussions now or so and uh i've got a crack in my skull still to this day running all the way down the side and uh
1: yeah well explain that how did that one happen
2: that was uh grunthal i was at the grunthal national i think it was i uh it was one of those instant lights out situations. I landed, you know, nose down off one of the doubles into a huge braking bump. I guess all the you know, the junior guys and stuff that weren't jumping it were rolling to the inside and created a big hole there. And I was trying to pass someone at the time and I hucked to that inside and landed nose down right in that hole and it was just like instant just boom, head to the ground and it was lights out. And actually I woke up in the ambulance and I I have a claustrophobic thing about being tied up and they had me strapped to the board and i woke up in the ambulance and i guess i was told i freaked out and i ended up punching the ambulance driver in the dick (laughs) i don't remember that but everybody else does that's probably the best knockout story i've ever heard
1: oh definitely well for you and maybe not the ambulance guy he was just trying to help out and got unfortunately punched in the dick yeah
0: that's a job site hazard
1: true true but that's something no one should sign up for so, uh, around this, uh, time, uh, well, I guess before you turned pro, obviously, is that when you found out the lovely world of heel clickers and tricks and, you know, busting out some stuff, uh, off the finish line jumps?
2: Actually, I found out the whole freestyle thing when I was about 11 years old is when I started throwing out tricks, uh. I got my first video back then, which was SMP disturbing the peace, which is still the yes. best fucking dirt bike movie ever made. I and somebody, if says. you
1: have it, put it on YouTube in the full
2: version. Please. Yes, thank you. I will give you an over the pants hand job for that. Uh, but anyways, I learned, you know, saw Mike Jones do it, no, no hander landers and stuff, and like just cheesy no footers and like weird little tricks. And I was like, man, that's so sweet. So went out to my trusty old driveway jump and just started learning one footers and one handers and stuff, and then progressed the next year to you know, bigger things, and eventually by the time I was like 13, you know, I had like double cans and heel clickers and candy bars and nothings and stuff, like all the, those were actually the big tricks back in the day, and uh, guys like, yeah, me and Cody Owosco and stuff, and Josh was out there, still hucking whips back then, and uh, we'd just have little weird jump contests and stuff at my house all the time, it was awesome, and I just, yeah, I always did tricks all the time practicing, which pissed off all my racing sponsors, especially when I turned pro, they hated that, but too bad for you. So uh, so how baggy were your pants at this time? My pants were so baggy. Right away, This day one, shift Seth Enslow Signature Pants. I had those shits on order. They were way too big because they didn't make kid sizes, and I didn't care. I was rocking like a size 36, so it was just like the most baggy pants I could possibly ever have on, but I looked sweet.
0: So baggy pants and a wide stance. <laughs> That's
2: right. So these uh, double
1: cans and Seth Enslow Signature Pants... Back in this day, was that more for your buddies or was it to more pickup chicks?
2: You know, back then it was it was all about looking cool, trying to be the video guys and stuff. And then, you know, eventually a couple of years later, you hit the old trusty years when boys start discovering things, and it was all about chicks after that. I agree with you. Doing? I know you do. But it's true because so
1: then once uh, so once you get uh, get at it, turn pro uh, at a young age. So I'm gonna make a go of this did you get into snowmobiles after you were a pro in moto or was that something you kind of did your whole life
2: uh snowmobiles was actually what i started on first and foremost for some reason why the fuck
1: you tell me that now i
2: don't know yeah 10
1: minutes in you could have started with that get
2: your poop in a group here with your questions come on
1: well i'm asking you the questions (laughs) to learn more about you so
2: (laughs) well i don't know my parents had the idea that snowmobiles were safer so because my dad always raced sleds and stuff and whatever
0: you went ahead and uh, proved that to be false. Yeah, definitely
2: uh. did. But I started on sleds. I was riding like a big sled by the time I was six years old or so. This guy cracking beers over here. What? Um, Yeah, I was about six and started riding a big sled and same deal. I started finding all the drifts and little snow piles I could and just doing little one-handers and stuff. And I started racing sleds when I was about ten years old or so. And uh, yeah, from the same deal with that, I progressed ridiculously kind of fast in the racing thing. I was ended up, uh, I was racing semi-pro and I was 14 or so, and then uh, Freestyle Snowcross was born, and that basically changed my life. So
1: when, uh, when you first, the Freestyle Snowcross bubble first started, um, and this was back at kind of at the same time as Freestyle Moto, but you know, the tricks were just a little bit behind, less people are doing it type of thing, but uh, when you the FSX Tour, the World Snowcross Tour, started, you were on a Brat Pack. It was a team consisting of you, Jason Semler, Tim Needles, Heath Frisbee. Uh, there's that fat guy who shot fireworks on his Yamaha. Um, what, uh, how did you really get onto that? Was it from your racing career? Or how would they find this kid doing, apparently, one-footers in East Selkirk, Manitoba? How did you get invited to one of the most prestigious teams at the time?
2: That was... Uh You know, all thanks to kind of some luck and some self-promotion. Basically, I was uh, racing and stuff at the time, but I was still the same deal. Like, my parents owned the race circuit back in the day, so I always convinced them to have halftime or end of the day jump contests and stuff. And we'd always go out and build a huge jump at the end of the day and go out and throw everything down we possibly could. And back then, the the whole word word of the tour starting was floating around the snowmobile world. So I. Kind of made a little video and tracked some people down and sent it around and stuff, and then uh, got lucked out that I uh, got invited to the very first freestyle snowcross event ever. Um, that was in Anchorage, Alaska. Ended up having to like cut all—oh, well, not cut, but they cut me. All my racing sponsors were just like, "No, you're you're clipped. We don't want you to have nothing to do with that." So I went out with zero sponsors I actually lucky old 204 skate shop which was snowboard canada at the time they helped me out with a pair of smp baggy pants that i cut into shorts and that Heck, was yes <laughs> those were your personal pants actually i think they still had dirt stains on
1: them i had to keep you looking good was it blood or dirt one yeah, of the two, yeah
2: or something else probably <laughs> but uh yeah then uh went to that first event and it was like a total shocker for me because all the guys there like the guys i looked up to in the videos and stuff that i just i was like starstruck and meeting them all in the locker room and then uh ended up doing super good. I think I got fourth at that first one, and then they invited me to do a demo with Rat Pack the next weekend at uh, the Indoor Super Snowcross event in uh, Fargo. And that one, I went home and practiced 12 hours a day every single day until that came up and uh, went out and showed everyone what I was made of, and then I got asked to be on the team from there on out. So, So how old were you at this point? I was 15 years old.
1: So as a fifteen-year-old prepubescent little puke getting flown to Alaska, <laughs> jumping with all the big boys—I mean, you can imagine you're half fanboy, but you're still an athlete competing in these events. So like, like who are you riding with at these times, and like what was impressing you?
2: Well, I was still full fanboy. Like I, I went around and I got everybody's autograph the first day. It was <laughs> the worst thing ever. And then, uh, but the guys back then that like I really looked up to, were especially first and foremost the the guy that started the sport from day one courtney hungerford him and his brother built the very first sled ramp in existence and he took the sport from zero to to something in a matter of a year so biggest props out to that guy and then guys like you know chris barant he was the huge video star back in the day and dan adams was back in the day too i always looked up to him he's been he was in the very first sled next video so he was always super cool dude And then uh, meeting the new guys that were coming around, you know, like Heath Frisbee was super, super sick, so I always looked up to his style and stuff, and the tricks he was doing, I was trying to be able to learn and emulate, and uh, that's pretty much it, and then basically everybody on the tour back then was really good, had their own little niche about their tricks and stuff, so you couldn't really talk down about anyone back then.
1: Well, no, I mean, uh, me just being some douchebag from Manitoba, I remember I came down to an event with you and meet all the guys, party with all the guys, and... Yeah, and every one of them actually seemed like a decent person. But, um, so this led to you becoming the 2005 FSX World Champion. Um, I mean, these events were in Norway, Sweden, all over the world. So, like, as a 15-year-old, this must have, like, you must have been just shitting your pants, literally.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that first year I got flown all over the world, all over America, of course. That was where the biggest base of the events were. And then, uh... I ended up winning Rookie of the Year that year, um, which was super cool. I ended up third in the point series, I believe, and uh, I got my first win, which was I think the third or fourth event in the series, and that was that was the hugest thing ever to me, beating like all my idols and stuff. That was crazy. I freaked out, and then uh, the next year I had a you know so-so year. I was still kind of doing okay, but I still wasn't progressing super huge. And then the year after it was like, okay, it's fucking game time. And that was the year that I won the title, and it was a solid battle all year between me, Ryan Britt, and Chris Barant. It was crazy the level of tricks that were going on, but I was able to win eight of the twelve events and uh, take home the title, so that was pretty awesome.
1: Well, and see, this was pre-backflipping. Like, flips were just getting onto the tour, but, um, I mean, if you look at it from the true end of it, it all relied on your tricks and how clean they were, and... How many combos you had, you know, your whole bag of tricks in general. The extension. So, I mean, exactly, and so it was more on the tricks rather than, like, flip combos. It's going to look a little sloppy, but it's allowed. But um, So this was back at kind of the root of the sport when everything had to be perfect and clean.
0: And yeah. at the same time, were you also doing some riding? Uh, like, were you were on the dirt bike in the summertime? Were you progressing your tricks there as well? Oh, yeah, of course.
2: Like, as soon as the freestyle thing started with the sleds, I immediately brought it over to the bikes because it was... <laughs> A good tr- cross training for for the winter time, and B, it was just you know it's more fun. It was more fun than racing. I was uh, I was racing pro already at that time, and I was getting pushed into like you know the usual program that guys are in. You know, training five six days a week and pounding motos after, and then racing on Sundays and stuff. And I was just like you know what, fuck this, like, I just want to do tricks and go around, hang out with my friends and ride and, like, actually have fun doing it. I'm not having fun sitting in the gym and then going pounding motos and
0: watching a guy with a pit board telling me to go
2: faster, so.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's awesome. Like, tell me a little bit about, more about that, uh, that championship season in the in the snowmobiles, uh, you absolutely dominated eight out of the twelve rounds. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that year and uh, the stories you remember, and um, leave nothing out because uh, I'll uh, I'll have to check the explicit box on uh, on this podcast.
2: <laughs> oh man, some of those stories I don't think could ever make it onto any podcast. You uh... son
0: up, a bitch. <laughs> now, now, Arnie, let him talk.
2: But. Uh... Yeah, some of those stories, man, they're they're bad enough that I probably couldn't even share them no matter how explicit that little button can get. But, uh, yeah, that year was was crazy, man. I was just nonstop battling with, like, the guys I always looked up to and, like, the level of tricks was just getting... That's when it was really starting to get to the level of the dirt bike guys. You know, flips were coming around. Um, plus, you know, like, things like the dirt bike guys now in X Games, they do minute-and-a-half runs, but they got a huge course. So they're really... Like, they're throwing down maybe eight to... Nine, ten tricks in a run. We were doing them in arenas with thirty-foot run-ins and three ramps set up in a two-minute run. So we had to have like a solid eighteen tricks down, like big tricks, unlocked, no fucking up at all.
1: And we're talking still. There was like holy grabs were out, you know, like all the
2: big extensions. Yeah. All the grab big right side up tricks yeah. were there already. So. You know, we caught the moto guys really, really quickly, which nobody expected when you're riding basically a, a fridge with a motor in it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and now, taking the tricks from the bike to the to the snowmobile, um, does having that big machine up there add a little bit of stability to your airtime? Like having something that doesn't quite fall away from you as much, does that allow you to have a, a more sturdy platform to uh, plan your aerial attack?
2: It, it does and it doesn't. They both have their, you know, hits and misses about them. You know, a sled, you've got... You know, three feet of running board as opposed to a two-inch wide foot peg to bring your feet back down to. So you got a lot more room for air there. Your grab holes are bigger, obviously. Um, but then the sled in the air, you know, it's hard to control if that thing comes off sideways. <laughs> Good luck getting it back <laughs> most of the time. Or wind catches you in a headwind, like you're going front end high, no matter how much you lock up the brakes, and then it's just catapult from there on. And uh, you know, dirt bike's the same thing. You catch a side wind, of course, you're getting blown sideways, but dirt bike you can usually bring back so you know Aaron
0: Aaron Weeb actually suggested that uh when I'm jumping into a crosswind to check your shoulder into that crosswind is that something that you implemented or was he (coughs) completely full of shit uh you know it's he's
2: semi full of shit we'll say that's a good good theory because if you're checking your shoulder you're usually you know you're you're going to point the bike where you want it to go with that shoulder kind of thing everybody knows where your head's going to go the bike's probably going to follow so True enough, but, you know, same time in a wind on a ramp situation, you're in the air three times as long as you are on any track jump. So you kind of got to pre-whip into that thing and, uh, you know, try and accommodate for it.
0: But buck, Yeah,
1: hope for the best. And so so these tours, like, it took you to, I remember seeing pictures of you jumping in front of, like, those Tetris buildings in Russia, like... Um, uh, how did you how did snowmobiles get invited to jump in front of whatever those buildings are called but obviously that was a major deal
2: yeah that was a super huge deal by you know put on by red bull um actually the russian government i think had a, a little bit of a hand in there
1: vladimir putting you up
2: yeah vladimir was putting us up in his country so that was pretty sweet and he did a good job of it um <laughs> they, uh, it was you know i i was like this crazy thing cuz they'd never had anything in the Red Square before, back in the day, like, the Red Square was dedicated to those military marches and stuff in the Cold War, and all that kind of deal, and then, you know, all of a sudden, whatever it was, 30, 40, 50 years later, a bunch of assholes on snowmobiles jumping around, and, uh, it was super cool, because, yeah, we were right in front of the Kremlin, there was, like, 45,000 people there outside, and just loving life. It was on MTV Europe and stuff. It was this massive, massive production. It was just super cool to be a part of that and stuff. And, you know, we're jumping literally on over top of Stalin's little glass coffin underneath the ground there. We were right over top of that. So that was pretty Awesome. Well,
1: good thing you guys checked the landing, and uh, <laughs> yeah, might have started a war. Yeah, and yeah. being that, just remembering now, you were called the uh, Canadian kid. Being that most of the other competitors were American or from other countries, but uh, you pretty much were representing Canada to a point. Um, but having the name of the Canadian kid, I mean, do you think that was a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, it's good for promotions, but you're kind of, you know.
2: Yeah, it was always a nickname I pretty much hated, but it stuck with me for some reason because back then, you know, I wasn't full of tattoos and piercings and stuff like that. Well, I believe I
1: grabbed a sharpie and changed it to the Canadian skid (laughs) on your jump sled, (laughs) and uh, we were the only ones that found that funny, but uh, it just worked. Like, Canadian skid, like, you know, Slayer-ass kid, it just, yeah.
0: I liked that one a lot
2: better. It suited me more. Well, definitely. But, uh, yeah, it was more of a a marketing tool by my sponsors kind of thing, how that worked out. Because like I said, back then I was super marketable. I was a little tiny kid. 15-year-old. No, no tattoos. Half-decent-looking kid with three mustache hairs and whatever. It was, I was the Justin Bieber of snowmobiling, I guess, back then, <laughs> you'd say, which sucks. But, uh, you know, so that nickname you stuck around. You say that pride, my friend. Fuck. <laughs> Makes me want to cut myself when I, when I hear that name. <coughs> but, uh, you know, it stuck with me for a while, and then, you know, by the time I was like 18 years old, I started changing that real quick, and that you went away. not a kid anymore. I wasn't a kid. I was a Canadian man.
1: I'm a Canadian man <laughs> skid. Canadian skid mark. Yeah. That's that, right. You
2: hear that fart? That's a man fart.
1: So, um, I followed you around a couple of these events, obviously, yeah. Um, um, your fucking Grant guy at Brat Pack, like, sorry to be a dick, but I mean... For a guy who's supposedly putting on a team and a series, like, what a fucking douche. Like, really, um, I don't know if you really want to get into it, or if this is going to make the podcast, but I mean, just explain, like, because really, me listening from the outside but having met the guy, like, he, he ruined a growing sport type of thing. He like, was the, the
0: Jason Wygans. No. of...
1: No, 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 no. Yeah,
0: actually ruined the sport?
1: No, you've never met this guy. Yeah, he yeah. fucking, he pissed on it. No joke. No joke. Oh, yeah. And he was uh, selling dreams, and he personally was cashing the checks
2: mm-hmm. with
1: nothing going to the riders. That's the most wow.
2: accurate thing I've ever heard about it. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly it. He, yep. uh, you know, exactly. Was he selling Lee's dreams? Um, okay,
1: so and, Lee might not get in trouble. I'm going to hypothetically say this. Um, from what I was getting from not Lee but others as well is he was collecting sponsors' monies for the whole events, for the team for everything, building houses and cabins, bringing them out there for a minute, building foam pits no one can ride, and not doing anything with the sport or progressing the athletes. So do you think if Grant wasn't such a fucking douche, the sport maybe would have continued to grow?
2: Yeah, like it, you know, he had a huge impact slash shit on the sport altogether. And uh, it sucks because, you know, because of him, that's how the whole tour started. He ran it, and he was... The owner the So we do doctor, have to dude.
1: give him props for what he was doing but the negatives at the end yeah. maybe the greed I can answer.
2: give him his due props cuz yeah he did do he that for the sport he, now. he he got the sport out there in the front and like allowed people to see it we were selling out arena shows all over all over North America for years and it was awesome but then it was slowly started dying away because it's he saw what was there and started basically just stealing from us and the sport in general and really fucking ruined it for everybody because the sport just took a nosedive after that and it took years for it to get into things like x games now if because of that and uh you know nowadays there are no tours anymore if, other than like you know x games is the only contest that happens in the world right now and that's so, that's bullshit yeah.
1: so do you think <laughs> that this left a bad taste in the mouth of riders to say maybe potentially join another tour situation like that being that they got Screwed over and owed money from the last guy.
2: It basically did, yeah. And then another little tour started up for a while, and that same kind of deal happened. Well, not so much. They weren't stealing and stuff like this guy did, but they, uh, you know, it just didn't really work out. And that sucked because that was like our next shot at it. And no one's ever stepped up to the plate since, except for, you know, Red Bull does a you know contest once every two years, maybe. They'll throw something together, and anything they throw together is amazing and awesome because they actually. Care about the sports and stuff they do. They're not just throwing their name all over anything they fucking can, like Rockstar Monster does. Like it's, that's why their stuff's exclusive because they actually put the time in and the money in to like progress the sport. And they they helped us out a lot. I'm gonna say for sure they helped our sport big time.
0: Now, like during all of this, you're 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 doing all of these shows. Uh, is is there is there a lot of money to be made on the uh, competitive circuit? Like before. Uh, I guess the bottom fell out of it, like, were you making a, a decent living, um, like, uh, maybe not something you want to get into too much, but, like, what kind of, uh, what kind of dollars could a Lee Stewart expect, uh, from winning a few, uh, a few, a championship or even a few events? Well, put it this
2: way, I was, I was making more than if I would have gone to, you know, four, eight years of university, that's, that was my job for ten years, and it was awesome, nothing more I can really say about it, but yeah, we, uh we did good. Like if you were out there and you were one of the top five guys, you know, getting sponsors and stuff and doing shows all year and winning events and stuff, you, you made a legit living doing it. And it was probably the best experience I'll ever have in my life for sure. Being able to do something that I love to do for a living. That was awesome.
0: Right. That's excellent. You know, uh, to to see someone excelling and I got to imagine for you when it all came crashing down, that must have, uh, truly affected you quite deeply. And, uh, um, you are kind of still hoping for it to, um, in in a way, rekindle itself, or you're just really more or less upset to see it go.
2: Yeah, I was, and it really had an impact on my whole motivation and stuff. Like I was still doing shows for a few years after that, but my you know level of riding didn't really step up to the degree it would have if I was competing. You know, when you're competing right. against the best guys in the world, incentive like incentive wasn't there. You're You're just automatically pushing yourself. You're not like you know going out of your way to do it. When you see like one of the other guys out there and he goes and throws some new gnarly trick, you're like, "Fuck yeah, I want to do that too." But when you're at a show and there's no, you know, you're all getting paid the same, and it's not a big deal if you go out there and throw one-handers and pull tear-offs all day, you're going to make that paycheck either way. So, really, the motivation is not there to learn and push yourself. So, you know, that's my riding started spiraling slowly downward after that, and I started you know caring less and less about it.
0: Right. Anyone who's uh, been in any type of, uh, whether it's even your local jam session for a snowboard comp or uh, doing shows um, with the, uh, the the freestyle snowmobiling on race day or snow, or event day, uh, you'll push yourself to try tricks that uh, you have no business trying, uh, only for the fact that you'd like to, to beat the the guys around you, whether or not there's a uh, a carrot there in terms of a monetary. Um, Amount, out, but you, you just want to be the best, and when you're just doing shows, you don't feel like you uh, really need to push yourself, because there's no carrot.
2: Yeah, pretty much, like, especially at a show, you know, you've got a bag of tricks that you've got on lockdown for a show kind of thing, and that's what people want to see, they don't want to see you go throw five straight airs trying to get, like, one big new trick out there, they just want to see you do a trick every single time, so yeah. you've got your bag of tricks that you know you've got on lockdown, and you just basically go out and do the same shit over and over and over again kind of thing, and I don't know, it's... Sucks to say, but it almost
0: gets boring. All right, Big MX listeners, commercial time. And listen up, because somewhere in these commercials is a trivia question you don't want to miss out on. We don't yet have some real commercials from the sponsors that we've gotten so far, but these are a few gems from Supercrosses gone by. Hope you enjoy.
2: A power and excitement scream into Anaheim Stadium, Saturday, January 29th. That's right, the Miller High Life Supercross kickoff is back. The Rams' field is a mountainous battlefield as the world's best motocross racers declare war. Every factory team, every superstar, on a completely new track with an awesome water hole. Plus, you'll see Bob Hurricane Hannah in his first Honda ride ever. Anaheim Stadium, Saturday, January 29th, one night only, once a year. Tickets at 1978 prices as low as $6. Ticketron, Convention Center, Honda dealers, and Super Shops. A new toy. I tell her, "Don't worry, just a little old two wheeler." I don't worry till I get a whiff of a dirty me. Don't get next to her till I get next to Life Boy. Life Boy cleans dirt, cleans sweat, kills odor, all of it. Got enough deodorant to keep the clean smell going.
0: Mmm. Now she can start worrying. Deodorant Life Boy keeps the clean smell going. Trivia time, guys. Submit your answers to bradgebhart 88 at gmail.com. That's my name, Gabhart 88 at gmail.com. Your question. What number did the legendary Tim Ferry wear in his 1997-125 championship season in Supercross? We'll keep this open for two solid weeks. The correct answers will be put into a hat, and we'll draw a name of the correct answers for a $25 gift certificate to the iTunes store. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a... That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of indigo's. For extreme kids like us. cereal bees, amigos. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids, start out every morning with a fat ball. Jeff, you'll be the biggest cereal superstar of the latter 90s. You'll be the Michael Jordan of Saturday morning television. Big time exposure, commercials, products, image. You'll be the main man with plenty of money in your hand. I don't know. I think we're going to have to get back to you. No can do. We need answers. We're thinking about shooting this thing as early as tomorrow, and I need both of you. Ryder, McKinney, winning team, winning cereal. That's not happening, man. we got a free ride contest to go to. Yeah, man, we got to cut. Whoa, whoa, Jeffy, baby. I think it'd be best you don't enter that free ride contest. It's not a points contest, and why risk hurting yourself when you got so much on the line? Dig my groove, home slice? Home slice? Listen here, pop.
1: (coughs) But you see, kind of towards the end there, um, I mean, I know you moved out to Alberta for a bit and uh, got into street bikes for a bit, but I know you guys invited me up there to announce um, there was a couple events going on, one in Yellowknife and one, where was that one in Alberta? Yeah, that was in Grimshaw, Alberta. Grimshaw. Yeah. Um, See, and with events like that, like there was A-class talent um, you know, maybe some promoting issues, but at events <laughs> yeah. like that, yeah, I'm being nice. Um, <laughs> Very nice. Uh, it's just so nice. <laughs> um, uh, but um, at events like that, like riding with like Jeff Mullen, Cody Borchers, um, dirt bikes, and snowmobiles, um, i seen that was kind of a good way to go. Like, i seen that as kind of a, you know, if tie all the events together like that event had like mud bogs and like all that other stuff too but do you think more events like bringing the snowmobile and the dirt bikes together would be an option or you know would kind of appeal to more people
2: oh definitely especially like you know nowadays we figure out ways to ride snowmobiles in the summer times you know wheel skis and adding extra radiators and that kind of shit on there so you know you can full-on do hour-long shows just like the moto guys do all day long on a snowmobile and, you know, adding in other events like they had, you know, like BMX there and the mud bogs and stuff like that had potential to be a huge event, just, you know, worst promotion of history. And, uh... Hey, I got paid. Yeah, I didn't. No, I told him I wasn't (laughs) fucking saying a word on the microphone until I had money in my pocket. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh... And
1: speaking of that event, uh, one of the funnier... Okay, Lee's sled is not running at all. Like, for days and days, he's coming up to the ramp... Bogging out and dying, and to the point, changing jets, changing every fucking thing possible. To the point where we're thinking, like, yeah, Lee just lost his balls. He's just being a bitch, and he doesn't want to hit it. And, uh, if Arnie could say it better, like... Stop whining! (laughs) You son of a bitch! But, But, uh... Then... We found out later that somebody put cigarettes in his gas tank, and the fuel filter was clogged with tobacco because Lee hopped on a sled that was meant for another local rider that may have dipped fingers or other body parts into a female of someone's possession. <laughs> if I'm correct, is that the
2: story? That was exactly what happened. That was pretty much every time I'd come to hit the ramp, I'd hit the bottom of the ramp and just like immediate shut off and front flip action, jumping over the fucking handlebars and trying to save my life. After five or six of those, I was like, I'm over this, dude. This is the stupidest thing ever. I'm not riding anymore. And, yeah, we tore that whole sled apart completely to guts that night. And, yeah, we found the bottom of the fuel tank was filled with, like, half-packed cigarettes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, someone pissed someone off good, and, you know, I ended up paying the price for it. But uh, but
1: I bet it definitely felt good to figure out that that was the problem and, uh
2: yeah, my balls were still there, so I felt good about that at least. But uh, didn't really get to ride that event and neither did uh, my buddy Jeff either. He completely tacoed his sled at that one too within the first five minutes, tried hucking a backflip on a like friggin' eight hundred pound four stroke sled that should not be going off ramp in the first place. And yeah, he tacoed, so me and him just ended up uh, hanging out, watching everybody, drinking, scamming on grills and that whole deal, which ended up being just as much fun as riding anyway, so uh was that chameleon? tarantula
1: tarantula that's (laughs) it bad memories tarantula bad memories tarantula (laughs) um uh, but yeah i happen to be on the landing when jeff under rotated that backflip and i mean that was one of the luckiest situations in life uh you can picture a guy under rotating a flip on a yamaha four-stroke snowmobile clipping the landing turtling ducking for cover and it just barely bouncing over him and uh but yeah needless (laughs) to say they're days were done that's the so, only
2: time i've ever ran at full speed probably in my entire life i think you can see it in the footage i went from like 40 feet away to right beside him like the fucking flash i was like oh god don't kill my friend
1: <laughs> stupid yamaha
2: <laughs> so uh, but after this when you were living in alberta is
1: that when you uh i know you had sport bikes back home and uh, another bubble of the lee stewart adventure is uh sport bike like street bike stunting um, explain this, so like, how did you get into that, what really drove you to getting into that, and uh, yeah, where did that take you?
2: Well, pretty much forever, I thought street bikes were pretty gay, I'm gonna admit, and uh, I, I got bored in the summertime, cause you know, I, my job was riding snowmobiles still, so I'd work for, you know, nine months a year, and then the other time I'd just be sitting at home playing video games and, you know, riding my dirt bike when didn't I could. Really
1: but, get really good guitar
2: hero. Yeah, it was awesome at guitar hero, and then, uh, <laughs> But, you know, I'd have to wait to ride till everybody else got off work, so I was like, fuck, I might as well get a job, and I uh, Capital Motorsports just opened at that time, so I was like, cool, man, you guys hire, and I'll work for, like, six bucks an hour, I don't care, I just want to hang out in a bike shop all day, and they're like, sweet, so I just start hanging out there all day, and there was a couple guys kind of getting into the sport, I guess, I was watching videos of that stuff all day, I didn't really know anything about it, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, I guess, and... Some guys were just in there every day and just, you know, run in their mouth nonstop. And I was just getting tired of listening to it. And uh, next I was asking them, like, you know, man, why don't you try that trick or this trick or whatever. And they're just like, oh, man, it's not like wheeling a dirt bike. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, finally, I was just like, you know what? Fucking 100 bucks right now, dude. I was like, 100 bucks, I will scrape the tail on that bike in the first five seconds. Or, you know, if I break anything, I'll pay for it. Otherwise, you're you're getting 100 bucks of the deal. So he's like, all right, cool. And went out and jumped on it. <clears throat> scraped the tail, and then started throwing, I threw like six or seven tricks right in the first five minutes of riding that thing that I saw in those videos, and was like, maybe this is something I should get into, so I ended up uh, buying a bike within the next week, and uh, another Chris Mellon hand-me-down, actually, (laughs) it was his bike, (laughs) and uh, ended up progressing it from there, and it was something I kind of started to like, and got into, and then by the time, you know, my freestyle career was kind of winding down, I was just like, Felt the need, like, to do something different, so I started progressing that a little more, and, you know, I stopped riding sleds altogether at that point.
1: But, uh, see, and, you know, I've spent many hours in the garage working with you on your random sled parts that I know nothing about, And but your practice for all of your sled tricks was your sled is parked in your garage, and you're bouncing around like a moron doing seat grabs, candy bars, this, that, and your extension on your tricks on flat ground was as good as it was in the air. And do you think this kind of... Whatever the hell you would call it, like, do you have a name for that? Whatever you're doing, I'm sure you I do. call it
0: garage style. Garage <laughs> style, exactly, and that's garage pretty much what it gymnastics. is. Gymnastics,
1: exactly, and you and Jeff Mullen. like, but I mean, it's a great way to practice yeah. with zero chance of death, you know. So, do you think you being that gymnastic? I remember you using your school desks as fucking, oh, yeah. yeah. So, do you think that helped you just quickly bounce onto uh, street biking, where it is more? holding a wheelie in a balance point and then doing acrobatics if you want to call it
2: pretty much. Yeah. Like <laughs> even still to this day, if I'm standing and like holding onto a railing, I'd jump up and toss an Indian air off it cause it's fun. Well, exactly. <laughs> but uh, You know, that's really good practice for it. Actually. I never even thought about it like that. That was, that was an excellent question, sir. But uh, yeah, it adapted super quick, especially with the whole freestyle background and you know, you're Jumping sleds or dirt bikes or whatever, and like defying death, thirty, forty feet in the air, whatever it is. So you know you're riding a street bike, doing a wheelie, and you're only gonna fall from three feet off the ground. So, who gives a shit? So, but just having the whole timing and you know move, position your body around freestyle is definitely huge for that, and uh, was able to like, obviously help me push from absolutely nothing in that within a year to being pretty decent at it.
1: Well, yeah, you were uh, you ended up you were doing some demos with the Canadian Canadian Chaos team. And, um, so, like, how would you compare, say, doing a street bike demo to either, like, racing a pro moto race or doing an FSX snowmobile
2: jump show? I'd say it's probably the easiest of those three, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, racing a pro moto, that's at the top of the list. That's, nothing's beaten that. That's, like, the highest level of athleticism you possibly could have. So, I can never, uh, take anything away from that. Then it would be a freestyle run, because... You know, that's definitely a very athletic thing, too, and a very mental thing as well.
1: Well, yeah, and you guys come off, you are sweating and, uh, yeah, mentally just faded.
2: Yeah, pretty much, like, you know, trying to check to see if you shit yourself halfway through that run because you did, like, a holy grab and barely caught back onto the seat. But, uh, you know, the street stunt stuff, that's more of just, like, go out and having fun. That's It almost compares to, like, when I was a kid and just going out and riding and have fun with my friends and stuff because, you know, it's not something you have to take too, too seriously. Like, there's not, you know that aspect of you possibly dying every five seconds it's uh hell of a lot easier but it's definitely you know it's it's hard too you gotta have super good timing you gotta have balance like crazy and you know weird little things about it that people don't really get because it doesn't look as exciting as the other sports but it's definitely not easy
1: no definitely not and uh yeah myself i half dabbled in that too and after you still break a foot break of this (laughs) like dropping a 500 pound bike in your foot sucks like 200 pound dirt bike seems like the greatest thing to drop on yourself after carrying one of those tanks around but uh, and, and being that you've done all these different avenues like heavier street bikes heavier snowmobiles lighter dirt bikes how do they cross over like do you compare a street bike to a snowmobile handling or you know because uh they all kind of have similar attributes but not really like does how much of a crossover is there i think is what i'm trying to get at
2: uh they all kind of cross into each other i guess like having done all three sports there's a A weird thing about it, you know, like, obviously a dirt bike handles the best of the bunch, hands down. A street bike weighs just as much as a snowmobile does, but it handles a hell of a lot better. Um, A street bike has zero suspension, kind of like a snowmobile does, except you're not jumping it off the ground. But, uh, I don't know, they all kind of crisscross into each other pretty well, actually, which is a little weird. But, you know, basically, you put a motor and handlebars in my hand, I'm going to be stoked and probably be able to do something half cool with it, so...
1: Well, I think as Arnie would say, "It's triple time." (laughs) But no, no, I totally agree. Like handlebars and a motor, same thing. If you can wheelie one thing, you can wheelie the other. You get on a dirt bike, you can hop on a street bike. There's that balance point, and with jumping anything, there's kind of that point. You know, you hit a ramp, you got your apex, you float around, you figure out your landing, and you go from there. But um, so. Being that uh, you're kind of getting back in a moto now, um, I mean, you've always had a bike, obviously, but uh, um, you were in World of Wheels this weekend, your bike is super sexy, you probably spend more time making it anodized and powder coated and pretty than any human being I've ever seen, but like, uh, so kind of tell me about this little bubble you're doing with, um, you know, getting into bike building, and but still wrecking that bike on the weekend. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's something I kind of just always had in the back of my head because obviously riding as a job I knew was never going to last forever. And uh, it didn't, obviously, And when I had to get a real job for the first few years, which is still now, it was like a huge eye-opener. Um, but I always knew in the back of my head, like, you know, if I the day comes that I can't be riding them, I want to be, like, working on them. I just want to be around dirt bikes, street bikes, snowmobiles, whatever, because they're, they're fucking awesome. Um, but, uh, you know, now I'm just kind of getting into this whole... Custom thing or whatever. Like last year, I hooked up with uh, RMC Graphics and Villain Ride Company, who, uh, you know, obviously one's a graphic company, one does anodizing and powder coating, and I do some powder coating on the side here in my garage too. And uh, I just had this idea, like, man, we should make like one of the coolest looking dirt bikes ever. Like, just just go completely overboard on this thing and you know see what we can do. So we did, and I ended up with that white and purple bike that kind of spread all around the internet and stuff, and everybody liked. And uh, which was super cool and then whatever I wasn't entirely happy with it because I was like man we could have done a hell of a lot more than that so this year I was just like I'm going to do absolutely every piece on this bike or I'm just not even going to take it out of the garage so, well, and, and if you
1: guys obviously want to see this thing flip your phone out go to Instagram and uh, at LeeStewart38 that is correct sir how
0: do you spell Stuart some people spell it differently you S- seem to
1: S-C-U-M-B-A-G <laughs>
2: <laughs> something like yeah. that It'd be S-T-U-A-R-T for everybody else out there. So Lee
1: Stewart 38 on Instagram. And yeah, it is a beautiful bike. And I'm seriously, I know you're going to eat shit on it and wreck it. But uh, that's half of the fun. Um, So you're going to get more into these bike building things. Um, You see that as a future career. But are you going to get into uh, moto again, per se, like uh, line up at a gate this year?
2: Yeah, like I just kind of started riding moto again the last two years or so, three years. I took a break from it from a couple of years. From, I you're uh, pretty rusty. I'm definitely pretty rusty. I I'm not gonna lie. I sucked this year, and it's I it was pissing me off. It's still pissing me off. But uh,
1: as I can tell, yes. Yeah.
2: But uh, you know, I took like two, like I don't know how many years off, but it too was uh, way too long. Like the street bike thing kind of cut into that, and then some other. Unforeseen shitty circumstances cut into everything. So, but uh, you know, when I was able to get another dirt bike again, I jumped at it and you know, I'm slowly working my way back in there. But you know, that whole first couple years, I didn't have a ramp anymore. I live in the city now, so and uh, I was just riding the natural train stuff, which is still my most favorite thing to do. It's awesome, natural trains where it's at, but you can't really go out and huck too many tricks out there in the natural stuff because you're fighting the bike, swapping around, or like you know, no jump is in a straight line kind of thing. So, this year, Josh Penner built a ramp setup, which was the best thing he could have ever done, <laughs> and uh, now, yeah, we've got a whole crew of guys out there. Last summer, we spent tons of time out there hitting ramps and stuff again, and it even took me a while to you know, get used to just hitting the thing again, but once I had it, I started slowly bringing back my bag of tricks, which is still like my you know, C-team type stuff, but uh, this year...
0: Getting back those one-handers.
2: Yeah, I was pulling tear-offs for a, pr- a whole day, probably, <laughs> and then... Uh, but now it's slowly coming back, and then this year, you know, I'm on a mission to get my stuff back this year. Not to, you know, go into being a pro again or anything or doing shows. It's all for me now, and I just I got something to prove to myself, I guess.
1: So now, when you're doing the tricks, are they for your buddies? Or are
0: they to pick up chicks?
2: I'd say it's a little bit of both, because uh, you know my buddies are there and they're stoked when I
0: do something sweet. But and then... the wonderful world of Instagram allows you to share it with the female population.
2: Exactly. It's it's I love social media for that aspect. It's awesome. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's half it. It's a 50-50 split, we'll call it.
0: Perfect, perfect. A great balance, if you will. Now, I'm going to uh, say a few names, and I want you to tell me the first story that comes into your head.
2: Oh, God, here we go.
1: And only so, just, just so you get... I know your head's turning right now because you have no fucking clue. <laughs> yeah, right? not a clue. Uh, I made the list of names, right? So, um, here we go. It might be some people. And I didn't go there, is what you're <laughs> thinking. No, I could have, but I didn't. Okay. Oh, you must be very proud of yourself. Kind of, kind of, because it could have gotten nasty. Yeah.
0: Arnie's been pretty quiet. We appreciate that. Now, Jeff Mullen.
2: Jeff Mullen. That guy is one of the gnarliest motherfuckers I've ever met in my entire life. Toughest dude ever. He can go out... Well, he smashed, like, five of his teeth out and... Gets oh, yeah, up and I had to hold them. He's laughing. Yeah. <laughs> That's His first reaction is smiling with no teeth in his face. They had just blood everywhere, and he's just like... Whoa. And that was his exact reaction. It was like a stupid little giggle, and uh, you know, I got I got a million stories with that guy for sure. I spent years on the road with him. He was my teammate for a while, but uh, you know, I just water. pick one. What's
1: the gnarliest shit that caught you off guard that you've seen you seen him do on a snowmobile? Not, on a snowmobile? Yeah.
2: Probably watching him break his arm and get up like nothing happened, and trying to hop back on his sled again. He broke the humerus. Is that the one up here? Yeah, that's funny either. Yeah,
0: yeah, he... <laughs> Nothing funny about the humerus breaking.
2: We were kind of drinking when we set the ramp up the day before. Allegedly. And, uh, yeah, allegedly. And, you know, allegedly I mismeasured the gap a little bit by like 14 <laughs> feet. <laughs> and he came up pretty short and uh, paid the price for it. Approximately
0: 14 feet
2: short? Approximately 14 feet short on the nose. And, uh, yeah, he... He came up short, broke his arm, jumped up, and was like, you know, like everybody does when they're hurt, and I panic, like trying to find a sled again, just like wanting to get up and hit it again, and then all of a sudden just like, oh, something hurts, and yeah, so we put his uh, sweet spinner chain on him and sent him to the hospital, put a few beers in him, and uh, he came back, and hung out with us the whole day, and just got hammered, <laughs> which was awesome, came back straight from the hospital.
0: Now, were those uh, medically prescribed beers, or uh, was was that uh, Doctor Stewart?
2: That's uh, yeah, that's a Doctor Stewart remedy right there. I'm a partial physician, we'll say um, physician of the more alcoholic arts. Right. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. That's a little. <laughs> I've got a uh, degree. Home remedies, yeah. if you will. I've got. Home that's home part remedies. of the degree from the Mellon Brothers School of Life.
0: Next name on the list: Damon Bradshaw, the Beast from the East.
2: The most. Badass dude to ever Ride a dirt bike ever Watching that guy Fist fight Jeff Mitasovich on the track And those guys Banging bars Left right and center <clears throat> That guy was Like he was The shit growing up Like I remember My first taste of Watching him Was not even I wasn't even into dirt bikes I was a little kid And uh He was in a Monster truck video Cause I Monster trucks were The coolest thing ever They still are to me But uh Seeing him in there In a monster truck video was like man He's got like Zebra print gear on And stuff And he's just like Going over the bars Hard on triples And shit like, man, that guy is my new idol. And then that was actually where I started, like, discovering Supercross and stuff from.
0: Perfect. Uh, what about Michael Hildebrand?
2: Mike Hildebrand. He is probably the champion, the people's champion of Manitoba motocross. Absolutely. I would agree with that. <laughs> definitely is the people's champion of Manitoba okay, motocross. Okay, so we're looking for a story here. First yeah, story, a story that comes to mind. A
0: first story, Mike Hildebrand story, go.
2: Oh. Well, this, this story's got him. It's got a bunch of people in it. Does it have it, Damon Bradshaw? No, it doesn't. Fuck. I wish it did. Any, Either way, tell it. Any story would be way cooler with Damon Bradshaw in it. <laughs> Mike Hildebrand. Uh, let's see. Let's look at Mike Hildebrand's story. I guess the Nationals, everybody, while well, he was there, but he was probably one of the loudest ones yelling at me. Everybody yelling at me on the bus on the way there because they're watching race videos trying to get amped up to race the Nationals, and I just snuck my creepy little ass to the front of the bus and like threw on a crusty video and everybody lost it big time and uh he was definitely a part of that so that's that'd be my Mike brand story for you
0: fair enough uh many a sharp lawn lawnmower blades in his future um <laughs> josh penner
2: josh penner
0: oh old teddy that was his old nickname
2: he's gonna, Teddy. he's gonna teddy. fucking kill me for saying that he's so mad but uh i don't care too bad for you josh <laughs> Josh Penner story, I don't know, probably probably the most recent story, I guess. I don't know if I can even tell that story with his sponsors, I don't know, I tell it anyway. Does that
0: include Rub8535 or Liquid Heat? <laughs> or
2: his birthday. <laughs> I wasn't there for that, yeah, I was going to say his birthday, because that guy is usually like the most, he's like a fine-tuned athlete, he stays away from anything bad, but his birthday, I was on a mission to just get him sloppy drunk, and it worked, and he hung in there, that was that, uh, I owe him the hugest high five for hanging in there, because he actually hung in longer than this guy, which was unbelievable, coming from a guy that doesn't drink.
0: You're pointing at Arnie.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, Arnie.
0: Affirmative.
2: <laughs> but you see, Kay, I was there at Josh,
1: and, Kay, Josh doesn't even have sugar in his house, right? Like, we're talking, he has his uh, diet plan on his fridge, which pretty much involves spoonfuls of coconut butter, and I think that was it. That's that explain why
0: he's not very sweet.
1: Yeah. He's an amazing human being. I, I But, do. so, when he's like, yeah, Josh is down, like, let's do some shots. Like, it's his birthday, he's down to party, so then we got to. But, like, the choices are either white rum, dark rum, or whiskey. So, needless to say, there was uh, food all over the outside of his house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was awesome.
0: What about the scrap iron? Earl Reimer. You must have a story... Coming up through the ranks, you're a snot-nosed kid. I'm sure Earl must have said something to you in stage and, and, we're and talking or not said something to you oh. uh, right before the game. would about? To
1: and and I'm going to ask for something here. You got to give us two. You got to give us Earl Reimer Moto and Earl Reimer Snowmobile.
0: Oh, yeah, because there are many faces of <laughs> and Earl, there's there fans are. of
2: both. There are there are many faces of the Duke. The yeah. Duke,
0: <laughs> one of many nickname.
2: Yeah, he uh, he actually taught me a lot about what I know. To this day, like I grew up around him, like him and my old man were friends and no, stuff. No, I'm not but, talking
0: about girls. I'm talking about the sledding and the. Oh, that's what I'm
2: talking about. He taught me how to. He taught me how to go fast. Basically, he is unbelievably fast. Especially like to this day, he is still just ridiculous fast, considering how old he is. And uh, but yeah, he he scared the shit out of me once, big time, uh, on and off the track. One day, he was thought it'd be funny because I was just like a little 15 year old pro back then. and I weighed like 100 pounds and was terrified of everybody. And, uh, you know, I was battling with him hard one moto, and we were banging bars and stuff, and I was putting wheels to him, and (laughs) he came off the track and pretended like he was going to kick the living shit out of me, and I was terrified. Sitting there shaking, I, like, did, like, this crouch into the corner of the trailer, like, oh, God, just don't hit me, I'm going to die if you do. (laughs) And then jumps up and starts laughing, then just smacks me in the head and walks away. And uh, just because he's known me for so long, so I guess, you know, I thought that'd be appropriate, Partially shit myself a little bit, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) luckily you had sponsors that would replace those uh, pants for you. I believe one of them is sitting next to you. That's true. Uh, What about uh, another Manitoba motocross legend? He's known as the man. Many wouldn't. uh, Many current racers don't know him, but we know him very well. Don Formo, an absolute natural.
2: Yeah, Don Formo is. He's one of the best people I've ever seen ride a dirt bike, and that's including all the big name guys. I can say that with 100 percent guarantee he's the smoothest fucking rider on the face of the earth. He uh that guy, you know there's not really many Don Formo stories, he's like the nicest guy on the face of the earth, and he just keeps his nose out of trouble, he just you know, just goes out and rides dirt bikes. But I do remember him eating shit hard at my supercross track once, which was awesome. I dared him to try tripling into my rhythm section, it didn't work out so well for him. And that's that's the only time I ever heard him swear in his entire life, actually. I believe he said shit. (laughs) <laughs> but if, if I could
1: throw something there uh, for Don, for people have seen the Legend Ride. Um, his line choice would be something that you would never think of. Like he would go on a whooped out sand track, far right up the like sandy natural ridge that just happened to be inside the banners, and then go diagonal across the top of whoops to get the drive to go onto the far outside grass line. Like that makes no sense, but he would do it at Mach 10. And I guarantee he would never ride anyone else's line, and nobody could ride his lines.
0: Yeah, like um, that's similar. I also have my own uh, Don Formoso. I was just a, a, a young eighty kid coming up. Uh, I'd actually do. Uh, a Don formal riding school, and uh, I guess I was trying to pick his brain a little bit about bike setup, and uh, to which he replied with a rather sarcastic answer. I asked him, How do you, how do you lighten up the bike? How do you make it, uh, lighter? and he uh, replied that he puts uh, helium in the tires, uh, to which I, uh, took it full face value and ran back to my truck to inform my dad uh the, the next greatest thing to do to uh to lighten up the motorcycle to ride like don former. <laughs> exactly. We didn't end up doing it, uh but um Don But Don won uh, that round. An absolute like he was he's the Manitoba uh like wizard on the bike. The guy could do anything. Uh I believe uh, even uh, yourself, uh we the three of you, Josh or... Uh, are uh, Adam Pfeiffer, Don Formo went to the ross Peterson ri- uh, riding school yep and uh, you all, all three of you had to learn a special skill on the bike. What was yours?
2: Mine was riding backwards, which i'd never mastered. <laughs> I can kind of do it, but I fall over in like twenty feet and I still try it, and I still fall down but uh, then we had that, and we had another trainer come in um, back when uh, you know. David Buller, like, his uh, old man was a sponsor of our race team back then with Kitchen Craft, mm-hmm. and uh, they brought in a trainer for us, and David, obviously, he was still on 65s back then, but he was already just ridiculously fast. Uh, they brought in Greg Albertine's old trainer from, like, South Africa. I forget his name, but that guy was... He was Moto Hitler, basically, is what he was. <laughs> he was terrifying. He would yell at you, hit you with sticks and stuff, but, like, man, he made you get the job done for sure, and, yeah, he did... He had that same program for us, and same thing, Don Formo again, that guy just like, not a freestyle guy whatsoever, and this guy wanted us to like go out and do the riding backwards and dragging and stuff and doing stoppies and like doing gay little tricks on the doubles and stuff, and he's going out and trying the stuff and just nailing it right off the bat, and like, how's this happen? I've been doing
0: this forever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Don, Don's was being able to do uh, donuts while standing beside the bike. I remember <laughs> yeah. he did that remember that one at the top of a sand hill at uh, Seddon's Corner. I think, Chris, you are familiar with that area?
1: Thought, yeah, I've been there once, right? Yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, my my bike didn't quite make it up one of the hills, so uh, Don decided to uh, ride it down the hill for me, and then come right back up on the rear wheel, of course. And then when I told him that he was showing off, he proceeded to show me what it really meant to be showing off when he uh, made my bike do a few uh, (laughs) loop-de-loops around him before he handed it back uh, (laughs) without uh, either side of the bike hitting the ground at any time. He would do that. Absolutely. uh, Unbelievable of a rider. Rode some of the the most ill-handling bikes Known to Manitoba motocross in throughout the early 2000s on those KTMs yeah, those original. And uh, known to also earlier before he handed that 520 off to you, would ride that 525 KTM one moto and then switch back to a KTM 125, which I imagine for you doing the same, no small task.
2: No, none whatsoever. That was, uh, yeah, that's like jumping in a Sunfire than jumping in a Lamborghini, basically is how you can compare that. But uh, yeah, that guy, he's probably one of the most gifted dirt bikers I've ever seen in my life. And-
1: but if I can have one unfortunate Don Formo story. I remember when I was um, young, I don't know if this is the fucking truth or not, but he broke his leg pre-season, you know, and our season is short enough as it is. But I remember it was like three, four weeks before the season, and so Tums have calcium. So he was eating Tums by the bottle, but it turns out that that's a different type of calcium that will actually make your bones softer if you eat too much. And it set him back for almost the full year. And uh, yeah, that wasn't a smart move. And I mean, I was probably fucking 12 when I heard that. But uh, he wasn't the pimp on that one, was he? There
2: you go. Dropping science on you.
1: That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's one uh, I wouldn't know. Moral but, of the uh, story,
1: don't eat Tums if you want to heal bones. Because it apparently does not work out
0: Excellent. Now, uh, all this talk makes me think we're going to have to have uh, the number forty-two uh, on a podcast in the near future. But getting back to um, Lee, you're uh, you're like right back to present day. We're we're looking to to get back out on the bike this summer. Do quite a bit of riding. Um, like it, like you said, it's all for you at this point. Uh, what are some small goals that you're setting for yourself? Um, like I know, maybe they're just all internal ones, like tricks that you'd like to progress to this summer, or um, a yeah, number of phone numbers you'd like to pull through Instagram, stuff like that.
2: Well, definitely top priority is those phone numbers. So any ladies listening to the Big MX podcast, which is not gonna fucking happen. So really, <laughs> don't put stock in no, all. No. Yeah. So when you eventually do, come kind of it is it's someone's wife, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, yeah. and she doesn't want to be listening. No, no, definitely, and I don't want her phone number either. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, my biggest goal is just to get kind of back to where I used to be with my riding level and, you know, get my tricks back. Kind of, you know, I'm throwing the idea around of flipping again. I haven't back flipped a dirt bike since like 2005, and I think I only did it like twice because it was terrifying. But, uh, you know, I just I want to get that done, you know, before, before I can't, basically, before mm-hmm. I get too old and I, yeah. my body won't do it. And you know I'm kind of contemplating the idea lining up behind a gate one of these days. Are we
0: gonna see the the 38 uh, huh? or the 387 oh, that what? you you rode uh, you rode with as a pro? Oh,
2: I already got my 38 reserved. I, I, I'm already ahead of the game on that just in case Perfect. it happens. Right
0: on. Well, we'll be looking forward to seeing you out there, and uh, I'll be calling the events, so uh, you'll you'll have at least one fan in the crowd.
2: And if you don't do it, you're a yeah. douche.
0: Just look for the guy like that's
2: asked for about two laps and then is in 10th place doing oh, okay. now. that oh okay on that note i
1: think this is a great fucking podcast ending lee stewart story um you see me we'd go to events after i broke myself in half i'd go pit for lee you yeah. know and more just live through him let's go race let's go make excuses to go get fucked up in a different city or province we went to what the fuck was that in grand forks um the bar that had uh, patio furniture Oh
2: yeah um, The old Staples race
1: No it was an indoor arena cross Yeah that was We uh... got so fucked up the <laughs> night before And went to this party We don't know how to get back We allegedly didn't drink and drive Laura's truck But it was and parked out about what, 9 what, feet up a snowbank The next day when we went out to get in it But Lee signed up for the pro race First race in years On the starting line proceeds to throw up All over my shoe and his boot Whole shot One-hander through the whoop section three times, like doubling the whoop section three consecutive... This is a a past FSX champion we're talking about, right? (laughs) Like, heel clicker off the next jump, puked again, and rolled around in last place. But, I mean, as long as this future gate drop... (laughs) is at least as good as that last one, I think you're on to something. Well,
0: that'll give me something to talk about well, at the very least. I can you guarantee. still owe me a
2: right shoe for that. <laughs> I can guarantee it'll probably be pretty similar because if I do go out to race, you know, I'm not taking it that seriously. Maybe,
0: maybe you can get your sponsor, 204 Skate Shop, to uh, hook uh, Chris up with a new pair of shoes. No.
2: Yeah, I
1: think he knows the right guy. <laughs> That's out of his pocket. Fuck that. <laughs> We all make mistakes, and that was one of them.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, excellent. Uh, We we just uh, eclipsed the uh, hour and five-minute mark in terms of our talking here. Uh, Thanks so much for doing the Big MX podcast brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Most of those uh, sponsors are going to want to not be associated with uh, Big MX after this, but uh, we'll find other ones. But either way, uh, thanks again so much, and uh, it was a thrill to have your story told.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot, man, and uh, hope to be on again one of these days. Absolutely.
0: We'll have you again. Thanks. Goodbye. 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 Good night, Arnie. Uh. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast. Be sure to stay tuned for more episodes. Check out our archive for ones you may have missed. And for more content, BigMXRadio.com is your one-stop shop for Manitoba motocross media.